Welcome to episode 121 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Sasha Rudensky. Sasha is an artist and an educator. She is currently the program director and an associate professor of art at Wesleyan University. She studied studio art and Russian literature at Wesleyan and received her MFA from Yale University. When Sasha was young, her family left Russia just as the Soviet Union was breaking apart. We talk about the duality and tension of her insider-outsider approach to photographing in Russia and Ukraine, as well as her description of people in place through fact and fiction. We also talk about teaching in person during the pandemic, which Sasha is doing currently, and we talk about a book that she has been working on that combines multiple projects into one body of work, and we discuss a little bit of that experience and the process. Sasha will also reveal the new title of the book, which we expand upon near the end of the episode because I forgot to ask her what the title meant while we were discussing the book. I should also note that Sasha Rudensky is represented by my podcast partner, Sasha Wolf. And on that note, I just want to make a small announcement before we start the show that because I am producing Sasha Wolf's show, Photo Work with Sasha Wolf, and it takes a little more logistical time to record with guests during the pandemic, and also I am teaching full-time during the pandemic, not to mention trying to get the JKC Gallery back up and running, which hopefully will be soon. Uh, The release of my own episodes will be a little, let's say, further apart. Uh, I don't have a regular schedule anymore is really what I'm trying to say. So I hope when the show does come out that you're still listening and still enjoying it. Uh, But there will probably be uh, fewer episodes for the remainder of this year. Uh, All right. So thank you, as always. Enjoy the show and we will talk soon. My name is Sasha Rodensky, and I'm currently uh, holed up in my studio at Wesleyan University, which is where I teach in Middletown, oh. Connecticut. Nice. start there then. Uh, When did you start teaching at Wesleyan? I have an interesting backstory to my teaching. Um, I graduated from Wesleyan uh, in 2001. And the first time I taught at Wesleyan was in 2003. So a mere 18 months after graduation, I was a TA for many classes here, and um, the professor who I studied with had to take emergency leave and, to my surprise, asked me to teach instead. So I here I was as a 23-year-old <laughs> <laughs> pretending uh, I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, I feel like that's how a lot of us get into teaching. So I say could say, <laughs> yeah, I could say that I have been here since 2003, but uh, in my current capacity running the photo program, I started in 2011. Oh, okay. So that would have been after grad school. After grad school. So I, I did come right. as an adjunct. I taught here uh, right after graduation, so 2008 to 2011, but in 2011, it became a different job, which is a tenure track. Well, you're, you're listed as a associate professor of art, program director, professor Russian, Eastern European, East European Eurasian Studies, and program, I said program director, of the Davison Art Center. This How, is... Is that all a, accurate? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, 
It's accurate. The program, the studio program director is a rotating position. It's an administrative temporary job that we all have to do. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the gifts of tenure is uh, <laughs> an added administrative load. So this year, it is my turn. Aha. <laughs> well, and then how many students... Are you? Do you actually see? And are you teaching remotely? And I am all teaching that? in person. I decided to uh, be brave, but also I haven't taught all of last year. I was on family leave in the spring, and then on a tragically aborted sabbatical. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was on family leave in the fall, and then uh, on sabbatical in the spring, I spent in New Haven due to COVID. Uh, And so I was, I have actually been really starved to teach and doing so over Zoom felt really unsatisfying. So I've been back in the classroom. Oh, in my, in my mask. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I'm at Wesleyan must have dorms, right? There are dorms. Uh, Students were on lockdown, a very strict lockdown for two weeks. We all get tested twice a week. And so far, so good. I'm going to not knock on anything since we're recording, but that's what <laughs> okay, I would like you. to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the experience of teaching now during COVID, uh, how is it different in terms of you know how you had to uh, remake or just readdress your curriculum? So I'm actually doing things pretty closely to what I would normally do. The things that have to get reconfigured are things like technical demos where... I'm a very hands-on instructor where I myself usually show students how to develop film, for instance, in person, and I do so by shoving a bunch of bodies in a tiny developing room. Um, (laughs) That did not happen this year. On Monday uh, is the first time a photo one class is supposed to be in the dark room. Again, it's going to be me with my phone on Zoom giving them a virtual demo. But other other than that, I have tried to keep things um, running the way they are and the way that I love to teach. So even lectures will be in person uh, and certainly critiques. Uh, everything is just slowed down because we're all far apart. To look at prints on the wall, students will have to get up one at a time. I have no regrets so far. But then again, <laughs> I haven't gotten sick and I haven't heard of my students getting sick. So right. <gasps> to be continued. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's all a little bit of an experiment right now, and uh, I'm teaching fully remotely, uh, except that I I've offered lab time, so I'm meeting students uh, up to six at a time in the lab. Which oh is yeah, split between a dark room and a studio. Yeah, I forgot to say that's the other uh, the other change is generally both in the digital studio and in the dark room we have open hours and students just come and go, and now we have a sign up system. There's only one student that's allowed per space. They're sign up. Um, you know, over yeah. uh, software to book a time and all of that. Right. So um, you went to undergrad at Wesleyan then? I did. And then graduate was Yale? And then um, my, I did my MFA at Yale. Was there d- time between or was it one to the other? Uh, no, there. I took quite a bit of time, uh, five years. So I graduated undergrad in uh, 01 and then was back at school at Yale in 06. Yeah. What were you doing in between? 
I right after graduation, I had a bunch of crappy jobs uh, in New York <laughs> City. I was a w- waitress, uh, which was not very successful. <laughs> I worked as an administrative assistant. Then while teaching at Wesleyan and commuting, I was also continuing to do some little odd jobs here and there to pay rent. And then I taught high school photography for a year. And then right before grad school, um, I got a grant to that funded a full year worth of work. And that was really critical. Uh, I really don't think I would be sitting here right now had I not mm. gotten that grant when I did uh, in 2004. And so that allowed me to not have to have a day job. And I spent an entire year traveling and working in Russia, Georgia, um, Uzbekistan, Ukraine, uh, making pictures. And that was what, in my mind, stands out as the beginning of my more mature, serious work. Right. And is that the work you apply to Yale with? And that is the work with which I applied to Yale with. And mm-hmm. I will say, um, when I was work, uh, my there were many things that were great about my time at Wesleyan. Uh, and academically, it was a really fantastic uh, experience. But my education and photography specifically was minimal, to say the least. And I had a good rapport with the person who taught photography here. But he and I had dis- very different interests, and um, <laughs> he was much more focused on the female nude than I was. Oh. So there was a lot of encouragement to make that kind of studio work, nude self-portraiture. I think I got that out of my system very quickly, and so I really knew almost nothing about the world of photography um, except for what I found on my own. And so I had to go through a kind of expedited self, you know, program of self-education after the fact. And so when I started this project in Russia, etc., I did so, you know, shooting color film for the very first time, using medium format for the very first time. And looking at Stephen Shore and Eggleston for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that's really interesting. That I remember that experience, and it was, uh, you know, uh, in the late 80s. And I remember there was one particular professor, and it was the female students, and he was pushing them towards nudes. Uh, and uh, I thought that era had ended earlier their pockets <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah yeah and so what what a what a turnaround that must have been for you to be so internal and then so external yeah uh, on the, i think that's yeah. right and then when but when you were when you were at wesleyan was it all black and white or yes 35 millimeter black and white is is what i learned and primarily using natural light and having you know, lots of admiration for robert frank and other sort of documentary photography greats. But again, you know, this was this was um, my students after just photo one know so much more about oh, the right. medium than I did. And having having graduated. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Having graduated. Yes, exactly. Um, and then uh, in Yale, you, you did you continue with that work? Did you travel? I did a little bit. But for the most part, I made a conscious decision to start something new and really try to learn how to make work in a different way. Again, I was 
so green <laughs> when it came to knowing, you know, why the shock of getting into Yale, I, I can't <laughs> describe. I really felt that some terrible mistake was made. <laughs> uh, and I got there thinking, you know, every, every, I knew everyone knew more about how to make pictures than I did. I was right. But I did, I did have a goal in mind to not just continue doing what I came in doing, feeling like, what is the point of being in school? But right. um, having this very nebulous idea of learning how to make portraits in a very different way than what I was seeing. The work with which I applied was peopleless, even though it referenced the personal and lives, but it was a series of landscapes and interiors. And I wanted to find something that connected to that way of seeing that felt like it did come from me. It wasn't me imitating anybody um, necessarily, but I, I did want to try to expand my range. And so I got a new camera. I started working with a Mamiya RZ on a tripod, which felt uh, really difficult, but also exciting. And I, for the most part, shot in New Haven or in New York, where I was shuttling back and forth uh, during the grad school years, and uh, making pictures that felt more about a kind of creation of theatricality rather than being out in the world in the same way that I was um, making that earlier body of work remains. So still working in, in film, color yes. film yes. as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, but a kind of... Um fiction, nonfiction idea of, of documentary in a way? Yeah, I think that's actually put really well. Yeah, I wanted to make work that felt like it it showed my hand. Uh, I mean, in coming into Yale, I was such a purist, even the idea of moving a little statue in order <laughs> to make a better composition felt like a real transgression. <laughs> and I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I went through that. Yes. <laughs> and then I had a real epiphany. Um, but, you know, when the likes of P.L. DeCorsia or Greg Crudson are sitting across from you in the pool at Yale, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't exactly hard. But right. I, I, I do remember the distinct moment where I realized something needs to give and I need to really push my work in a way that... Walking around New Haven was just not conducive to meeting deadlines on time. Uh, so in some ways, it was almost a practical um, discovery. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I started, I, I guess the way I think about it now, and I'm not sure I would have articulated it in that way uh, at the time, but it was about this idea of a world that was both fantasy and reality at the same time, a kind of having one foot in what felt recognizable and immediate and surprising, um, which is what I loved about photography from the beginning, but then also having the work really have a, a heightened uh, visual language that could only come with construction. Mm -hmm. Are you still working film today or now is it all digital? I am still working film. All there right. was a moment... <laughs> A few years ago, I invested in a digital Leica, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to spend a lot of money, and that is going to force me to go digital. <laughs> and I just never loved it. So mm. I am still shooting film, um, and the, I do 
I did very recently buy a DSLR primarily to do editorial work, but also being um, stuck at home with my kids. I just haven't yeah. brought my film cameras out, so I have been shooting digital more. <laughs> but somehow I have this real split between what is serious work and what is not serious work. And film is for serious work. Uh, yeah. Digital is for fuck around work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of how I started. I, I do more digital now than film. But, but when I started, the digital was, oh, we're going to the park with the kids and let me just take some photos or, uh, uh, you know, going uh, to the beach and I don't want to bring the, the good camera, you know, right, that kind right. of thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, if, do you mind if we go back a little bit Absolutely. into your history? And yeah. You were, you were born in Russia. Yes. And then you left uh, just about the time, uh, I guess, you know, perestroika and... Yeah, I, I left at a very fascinating year. So Berlin mm -hmm. Wall went down in 1989 and the pooch the um dismantling of the soviet union happened in 1991 and i left oh, in okay. 1990 so right between these two uh important historical moments so you were pretty young i was 10 i was 10 yeah. and uh a funny aside is i moved to an apartment building that is two blocks away from where I'm currently living, the house that my husband and I purchased and uh, where we now live with the kids is very, very close to the very first place where I lived in America as a 10-year-old. In, in New York? In New Haven. Oh, New Haven. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you still split time? In... No, no. That, oh, that okay. time ended. So in my current um, title at Wesleyan, I was commuting, but... My husband and I started dating. Um, he was living in Connecticut. I also was getting exhausted by all the driving back and forth. And so I've been living in Connecticut. I've been a proud resident of New Haven um, <laughs> since 2012. Oh, okay. So it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. And do you still have family in Russia? I do. My Although I have, a f I have a very large immediate family and a very small extended family. And so... All my grandparents who lived, he, we're the only ones that left, my parents and my siblings. So for a long time, I had everyone there, but many people passed away, unfortunately. So I have a handful of relatives, but um, not, not so many anymore. Mm. Uh, and when I was traveling to Russia a lot, you know, I was also, I had a really large group of friends that I kept in touch with that felt almost like family. But at some point, I realized, both for practical and ideological reasons, that I prefer to work in Ukraine. And so in the latter years, I spent much more time there than in mm. Moscow and Russia itself. I mean, do you have fond childhood memories? Of I do. I, yeah. I, I will go on record and say that I had a wonderful Soviet childhood um, that I remember very fondly. And uh, in part, I think that that warmth of memories is what I saw in the world, in that world when I would return to it. And I guess thinking about the very broad term post-Soviet um, was not just geopolitical or historical for me, but very much uh, personal and that late Soviet period was a touchstone in my work. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. I, want, I definitely want to get to that. Um, what did your folks do? 
My dad, um, so the reason why we left uh, was not as refugees, which is a lot of Russian Jews left Russia uh, during different times in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, under that status, having gotten um, refugee status. That was not our story. My dad, who is an immunologist, got wow, a job. Wow, well, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a... Uh, got a job at... Relevant job. Yes, got a job at Yale. Uh, we were supposed to move to Germany, and in the very last minute, we his fam- he got a visa and we didn't. And so in basically the three weeks prior to our departure, the destination changed from Germany to United States. And we just got out um, right before my mom gave birth to my youngest brother. She was 37 weeks pregnant when we came to America. Wow. Which, having been pregnant now, I fully recognize how crazy that was. The, the journey <laughs> that must have been, yes. Exactly. <laughs> so my my mom is um, was an implied mathematician, but uh, after moving here, she really just raised us. And my dad had the amazing career that he had. And he's now the director of immunology at Sloan Kettering and um, has really had a kind of uh, immigrant. His story is an immigrant dream story, unquestionably. Yeah, I mean, that is. that is, And you clearly come from some uh, pretty smart stock there. <laughs> it, none, none of my dad's children will ever surpass his greatness. <laughs> that is our curse. Wow, that that's really something. And uh, boy, the field of immunology right now is just uh, I know so yeah. relevant, uh, yes. incredible. Uh, uh, but then you know, uh, turning turning to your work, then you've referred to post Soviet culture it, with a term that you use cautiously called New East. That's right. And I wonder, is um, New East is that? Do you say that cautiously because of? The way the West has described the East for so long is like a, a Soviet bloc and Soviet satellite nations. And... I think it has colonialist undertones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think is, yeah. <laughs> is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I mean, I think that it implies a, com- a kind of dominance of the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, to define the East as opposite of the West means that to set things up into a kind of binary. So I don't like the term. It's a term that I have heard used. I was uh, in a show in London after being one of the finalists for the New East Photo Prize. So it's kind of out there in ether. I think it's perhaps just a shorthand or maybe lazy way of referring to the what used to be, you know, referred to as uh, Soviet Union, the kind of territories. So I guess that's why I try to not use it seriously, but also mm-hmm. describe a geographic region. Right. And then and also having to uh, use a term that others are using at, in that moment, right? That's right. That that is understandable by a certain population or Yeah. So, you know, when when I when I look through your work and I see it as a, you know, social landscape and portraiture and you know, incredibly colorful and um I I see a lot of uh, titles in certain areas and then I see similar work under different groupings, different projects. Are you you know, as you go, as the work builds, because it seems like this, the the latest uh, uh, project that you're working on, this book that you're working on, yep, is a culmination of a lot of the work from yes. 
many different projects. I am trying. I'm trying to bring together a lot of um, threads in part. Mm-hmm. I had a show at Wesleyan a few years ago. And when I was conceptualizing the show, I thought about presenting, you know, three separate projects. But in installing the exhibition, I realized to what extent the work really is about subject that has just been explored in slightly different ways, but the subject remained the same. So I think that I like the idea of, given that I'm trying to speak about something that is quite complex and historic as well as personal, the work stretches over a really long period of time. Some of the oldest pictures and what I'm hoping will be a book date all the way back to 2004. And some of the recent pictures are just, you know, a year old, two years old. So uh, I also recognized (laughs) after the fact that it uh, coincides quite well with Putin's presidency. So that's sort of there in the background. But I, yeah, I, it's, it's not an easy undertaking to find a structure that can hold together a lot of these uh, pieces. In some ways, it would be easier if I decided to just focus on one project. But then I think in that way, I would forego some of the different kinds of thoughts and different reactions that I had to the world in Russia and Ukraine and how it changed over this uh, 14, 15-year period. Yeah, you know, I... I find that uh, when I speak to artists or or friends or or just people in general about Russia who aren't from there, um, there's a kind of easy criticism of what it is, uh, an easy, uh, and uh, uh, Reagan helped uh, tear down the Soviet Union, and um, it's, you know, it's better now because there's also uh, privatization and capitalism, and, you know, that's what what we refer to as neoliberalism, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's moved in this better direction and there's more freedom and all this thing. And then there's also the other easy criticism. Well, Putin is a tyrannical dictator who's, you know, destroying, uh, taking advantage of this new economy and destroying uh, Russia. And I, you know, I, and then when I speak to people who are from Russia or have family in Russia, it's so much more complicated in the criticism, including support of Putin uh, as well. I mean, there's, you know, it's Putin is a very popular figure he is (laughs) yeah yeah and so you know i think i think the complexity of what you're doing is is necessary to describe what's really changed and what's really happening i don't think it is easy i don't think you should let people off the hook for thinking it's easy right right yeah no i think that part of what i have been very careful to avoid is um I mean, the story of Russia versus U.S. is quite old and dates back to 1945. And it's really easy to caricature uh, both places. And in photographing in Russia and Ukraine, I purposefully try to tread very lightly so as to not uh, make photographs that really ride on that kind of exaggeration um, and point to things that are more subtle and that are simultaneously both tragic and funny, that are poignant, that are heartfelt. I, although, I mean, I frequently get asked this question if I 
feel myself as an artist, if I feel myself to be more American or more Russian. And it's very intertwined for me. And um, certainly, it's easy, given the fact that I have spent the majority of my life uh, in United States. Now that I'm over 40, I get to say three quarters of my life. <laughs> but uh, I think that those first 10 years that I spent there were incredibly formative and are such a big part of my identity. Uh, certainly a very big part of who I am as an artist. And um, when I photograph there, I don't feel like I'm photographing this other world or a kind of exotic world. I feel that it is still a kind of extension of me, although I do in many ways have a kind of outsider perspective. Mm. Uh, and for me, that's, um, that's where that tension is exciting. I think to make observations once does need to take a certain kind of distance to be able to see things from, you know, what could be a kind of unique point of view. But what I at least hope happens in the work is that I avoid the cliches and the easy types of pictures that ride on um, known um, truths about ideology and the Putin years and Right. Um, all of that. So trying to focus on the individual lives and the more intimate moments has been part of what I've been uh, after all these years. So those of you who are listening and, and should go see the work at SashaRudensky.com, uh, there are three projects, I think, up right now, Brightness, Eastern Eve, and Remains. And like I said, those titles of projects are fluid in some ways, right? Like you they might are, see that work in I, other yeah, groupings. I, I, now that I get this amazing plug, I also get to say that <laughs> the website is in bad need of being updated. <laughs> and uh, because um, bright, what used to be known as brightness is actually now known as tinsel and blue. And that can be um, seen at SashaWolf.com. Yes, that yes. is the more accurate... Um, that is the better place to look at work. Yes. <laughs> but I only bring that up because... I. Um, I wonder, as you are now thinking about combining this work as one larger piece, one larger book, do you see it as recontextualizing the work, or is it all kind of evolutionary in bringing the work together? Oh, good question. I feel like I can make a case for either one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, when I, because I do so much... I am a teacher um, as much as I am an artist. And mm -hmm. one of the things that my students really struggle with is this idea of how do you work in a way that feels true to you while also serving the kind of concepts that you want to underpin the work. So I, the way that I go about shooting is very organic. I don't start with a easily quantifiable idea. I certainly do much better when I get to just immerse myself in an outside world. And really my favorite thing about photography is walking around with my camera. That is what <laughs> I, if I could do only one kind of work for the rest of my life, I think that would unquestionably what I would want to do. But I also teach and I'm an academic and what academics do is put things in clever boxes. And so <laughs> I am unquestionably recontextualizing the work. Um, and I'm trying one of the things that I am um, currently working on is figuring out some 
armature that would allow me to bring together uh, work that's not just spanning a large period of time, but even stylistically uh, has evolved quite a bit. The look of my earlier pictures from the mid-2000s differs quite a lot from the work that I was doing in the in 2015, 2016. So I, that's one of the, what, this is what I I would like to do, but it was unquestionably an evolution. uh, Mm -hmm. And that evolution took place over that long period of time. I'm a very different person now than I was when I began this work in a very different point in my life. No, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned also uh, uh, once or twice when I was researching your work, uh, that you were influenced by German expressionism? That's a super early um, influence. I think I sometimes um, ask my students to do this, where if you sat down in front of your computer and thought about the visual triggers that are there from earliest memory, that for me is one of those triggers. My father was a huge lover of German expressionism. And even though he was a scientist, my mom was his mathematician, we did grow up in a household where art was a big part of what my parents loved. And they took us to museums when we were very young. And that was some of the work that I remember quite distinctly. And I swear it has something to do with how I see. Um, And so even though that wasn't necessarily what I was emulating consciously as I was making pictures, uh, I think when you do some self-analysis after the fact, I definitely saw those connections. Well, let me know if this rings true at all, because I saw a connection um, there, you know, when it, German expressionism has this, I don't know if you call it two branches or two schools, um, there's the more abstract Kandinsky kind of idea. And then I don't know, I'm not going to pronounce it right. Is it Brook or Brooka? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, it's the more kind of uh, almost folk art looking portraiture yeah. of people. And I wonder if that sort of folk-like impression of people influences your work in the way that you don't necessarily identify people, but maybe you think of them more as archetypes? Yeah, I, that, I think that is accurate. But not so completely, you know, when I find the perfect model, and that is one of the things that I've gotten much better at over the years, is having a really good instinct for who would photograph. Well, for me, not mm-hmm. not in right, the... Right, right, not, not objectively, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and, and it really doesn't always have to do with the way someone looks, but more even how they move and their gestures and their physicality, since so much of the way I like to shoot is in the moment and not, you know, a stiff portrait, but someone actually engaging in some sort of performative, in a kind of performative action. And so I, I like the idea of finding someone that is a specific person, but then also has a kind of bigger presence, I mm, guess. Absolutely. That's, and, that's in the work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, casting actors, it's a it's an important part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you do you mind? I don't know how much you want to talk about this, this new idea, this new project where you have uh, two working titles. You know, I, I got to read uh, a, uh, a statement you wrote about it. I don't know if that uh, something you 
you're willing to talk about now or is that something you sort of under wraps i i I mean i think it's maybe not uninteresting to talk about because (laughs) i think it's a real window into uh the struggles of Mm -hmm. (laughs) working on something like this it's such a moving target i think Mm -hmm. the text that you're referring to already for me feels like something i have moved past um I, i i think i'm i moved past that and and I'm rethinking the edit altogether but well to be to be continued um, well I learned a new word from it yeah index indexicality indexicality yes <laughs> that's a nice word <laughs> you know it's a kind of typology like kind to of hide word. like to hide behind big words I do I, I think the title of the of the book is Fantastica. That is the title that I believe I will stick with. Oh, uh, and I think that's it, different than what you Yes, I have. Do you mind. mind if I say it? Not at all. Okay. It was all that glitter or gold ashes. Right. Yeah. Done with that. <laughs> Over it. Oh, this is great. Yeah. It really is fluid. It really is a work in progress. I, on the sort of the, the foundation of it, the basis of it, where you do talk about neoliberalism, are you coming at this as a, this idea that What's happened to Russian culture, what's happened to the culture of the areas that you're photographing is this sort of this in-between space of having lost one identity and in the process of trying to form a new identity or figuring out what that is. Yes. And is neoliberalism the kind of shiny distraction that's allowing plutocracy to run (laughs) free? (laughs) Do you get more political than that or... You say better than I, I would. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's right. I I wouldn't say that the work is political more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I, certainly politics are a part of it and what I'm thinking about, but I'm not you know, a political scientist. I'm not a historian. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm none of those things. I'm an artist. And so my allegiance is really to, and I, I love that identity because I get to, do what I want in a way without holding myself responsible in the same way. But yeah, I think that what I guess I found to be a common denominator to um, the world that I have been discovering and rediscovering, uh, even though it has changed a lot, again, the way that things looked what I found people's apartments to look like in 2004 is so different than the mm. way things look now. Even what was ha- what was true in 2013, seven years ago, is so different than than what would find now in Moscow or in Kiev. People's tastes have changed a lot and have become much more sophisticated and much more aligned with, you know, Western idea of good taste as opposed to this moment where I think there was a kind of a more real and I think poignant quality to this attempt to redefine what domestic space could look like without necessarily feeling like it has to look like architectural digest or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So, yeah, I think neoliberalism, materiality, whatever term one can use, is the thing that, you know, is sort of at the center of it all. Uh, And it's so different than growing up in the 80s in the Soviet Union, where ideology, as problematic as it was, was also clearly defined. There were, you know, it was quite black and white, certainly even in what elementary school children were taught. 
And that doesn't exist in the same way. I mean, I think there is an attempt to recreate that and have Putin be elevated in the same way that, you know, the past uh, Soviet leaders were, but it's obviously a much trickier landscape to navigate. Is it fair to say then that um, the work you are making is is much more centered around the kind of the humanity of it, right? The, yeah. the day-to-day, the yeah. co- the experience of every day. Yeah. Uh, and I really don't like the word nostalgia. I hope that that's I hate, not... I hate that, the word nostalgia. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I cringe when people bring yeah. this up, and I try to be polite in answering it. But certainly, that is not, you know, what I want to meddle in. But... Yeah, I think given the, especially, you know, in the last, since since the 2016 election, you know, when Russia was in the news and back to the top of being the ultimate bad guy, hmm. you know, it's, it's that much easier to see things in um, less subtle ways. And I'm interested in lives and lives of people, uh, those people being both real and you know, a kind of my, my invention as well. Yep. That fiction, nonfiction again. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, in this, uh, I guess, in this time when so many things are closed and beginning to open, are there, are there any, is there uh, something coming up? Any shows or activities or? <sighs> um, good question. I was just in a show in Georgia, in Belize, Georgia, which was exciting. Um, I think it was a, digital show projection and it was all outdoors so you sent Um, your work over and yep exactly (laughs) i had a photograph uh at a group exhibition at the yale art gallery that opened this fall but it's been a kind of quiet time for me i have been stuck at home with a Mm -hmm. bunch of kids i was very (laughs) much looking forward to my sabbatical and uh, starting a new project in japan so hopefully that's only going to be postponed instead of canceled. Right. Yeah, I have a few things on the back burner, but uh, because I, my daughter was born a year ago, and uh, yeah, things things <laughs> are moving, but just yes. not in the same speeds <laughs> as in the past. <laughs> what What is the timeline on this book? Do you know? Uh, I I really it's so close, and it has been kind of close for a long time. I. I don't mean so close, like it's about to hit the bookstores, but in my... In Your my, end of it is close. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So, but I, it just, I need that extra bit of energy. So I'm hoping that this year is when it will finally come together and then be out mm-hmm. of my life. I'm ready to, <laughs> I'm ready to put it to yeah. bed. I know you moved on from this statement, and everything, but I'll tell you what, I... I thought it was a very impressive statement. I really liked reading it. Well, the ideas I think that are there are, that's that still very much stands. I think it's mm-hmm. just the way that I'm trying to stitch everything together and oh, sequence yeah. is what is still... Well, you can, um, you, even in the statement, you can see that you were, you were still thinking out loud. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> it's just, a, I'm thinking out loud for a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have a, a daughter who's one, roughly, right? Yeah, I have a son who is five, and then I have two stepkids who are 16 and 10. Wow. So 16 is high school, 10, 
is uh, fifth, still fifth grade, grade school. Yeah. yeah. Still start just yeah. starting fifth grade. Are they doing a mix of uh, in-person and remote? The high schooler is um, all remote. Mm-hmm. The 10-year-old is all in person. Um, oh, Cassius, wow. my son, is in an outdoor kindergarten. <laughs> wow. And the baby is happily in daycare. <laughs> and I really pray that it stays that way because yes. I... I am not, I don't think I would do well as a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we, our kids are hybrid right now, uh, two to three days in on alternating weeks, uh, so which means two to three days at home on alternating weeks. Luckily, the school district had the courtesy of putting them on the same schedule because they're in two different schools. Right, <laughs> that's right. Otherwise, that would have been a nightmare. Um, how, how old are your kids? So just turned 13 and nine. Those are great ages. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I can't wait till the one-year-old is uh, nine. <laughs> that is, a, it's a lot of work. I remember, I, I still, you know, I still remember those first six months and the amount of work that is. And yeah, because yeah. you still don't know all the things that are going, might come up too. There's a, a lot of unknowns those first six months. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on my daughter's first birthday, my husband said, only 17 years to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. My wife and I talk about post-kid plans all the time. Oh, yeah. No, we we live in a fantasy world where it's just us. That's right. A little, uh, I don't know, apartment with no maintenance. uh, Exactly. (laughs) Overlooking something. A studio apartment. So, um, oh, I did have one more question about the... uh, the book. And could you repeat the title again? That Fantastica. Oh, okay. Fantastica. So uh, do you want to give a little background on that? Well, Fantastica in Russian is genre. And I guess the closest translation is speculative fiction. Oh. And so one of the ways in which I started thinking about my work, which didn't come to me right away, but that there's something about the way that I've gone that almost starts to feel like science fiction, not mm-hmm. quite in the traditional sense of the word, because obviously we're living in, you know, it it, it, it takes place on Earth. Um, <laughs> but I just like the Russian word because it's both recognizable to uh, an English speaker, but also has a slight slight overtones of being of this other place and it's spelled with a K. Um, oh, yeah. Fantastica. And it's almost a little prickly because the K-A, I don't mean for it to reference swastika at all, but I think that there's just that slight touch of tension there or discomfort. And I think it starts to highlight that the work is really about these fantasy lives that are that people create for themselves. And that may not necessarily be clear right away because documentary photography is a really large term. And those people that, you know, make work in that vein generally don't don't like it. They don't find it very accurate. But it's a way for me to be clear about, you know, what it is that's going on, that this is not a documentary project about post-Soviet Russia or a documentary project about post-Soviet Ukraine. It's about this other realm, and it is a work of fiction. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you reaching out. This was so fun. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was also very nice to meet you. And yeah. uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to... Um, 
meet in person in yes. some, <laughs> in some <laughs> near future. Yes, very much so. Tell your father to get on it. <laughs> That's right. I know. Use that genius brain for something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.